UFOs, Bigfoot, paranormal input. Go ahead now, get mystical. Mystery and magical. UFOs, not typical. Bigfoot, not typical. You ask me why I'm skeptical. I say questions are questionable. Is the truth alien to you? Alien to get my message through. Aliens might message you. Aliens are sliding through. The wild signal we're plotting to. Algorithms they find is true. Typical. Skeptic. Shut Got no time for no petty turns, pandemic, a pandemic turn, horror still in Amityville, Bayonet in Gettysburg, Mothman, TNT, Factory, Red Eyes, Loki, Dogman, Howling in the Street, I'm typically skeptic of what I see, Voodoo Hoodoo in New Orleans, Thunderbird, Swamp Thing, is it real, I was wondering, typical, skeptic, show, typical, skeptic, show. I'm pretty at ease. Oh, I'm sorry, here we go. I'm pretty at ease with these, so I'm I'm just going to be myself. Okay, cool. Um, hey, guys, welcome back to the Typical Skeptic Podcast. I have another fascinating guest with me today uh, from someone who's close to my backyard, which is Pittsburgh. Um, you know, he, a, a fellow from West Virginia, his name's Wallace Wagner, and he's wrote a book called Crossing the Crevice. And we're also going to talk about his new book called Within Grasp. Now, um, both of these books deal highly with UFO contact from the Bible, and it's amazing. He's actually had a sighting of his own, too, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. But a little bit more about my guest, uh, Wallace William Wallace Wagner Jr. received a bachelor's degree from West Virginia University in 1981, and he subsequently did work at Marshall University and the University of Charleston. He gained a unique understanding of the Bible from 40 years of study, mostly self-taught. He's an interest of USO, UFO type craft in the Bible, prophecy, the Great Pyramid of Giza, disclosure, and legitimate crop circles. In 2016, he had his own UFO sighting of the white Tic Tac variety. And I want to give him a big warm welcome to the show. Wallace, thank you for joining me. How are you? Thank you, Robert. I'm doing very well. Thank you. It's good to be with you. When I want to ask you this because, like, I, I want to get an idea for like how big these things are. But if it was far away, then it could be hard to judge. So don't mind this question; it's not a big deal. But do you have an idea of how big do you think the Tic Tac might be? Because when they say Tic Tac, I think people think it's small. But do you think? Here's what I was thinking. I'll just throw it out there for speculation purposes. Do you think these could be like pods that are that have like um, a seating for? Even, even a small being in them or something, or do you think they're more of like a drone type craft? That's, that's a very good question. I'm, I'm thinking perhaps more of a drone type craft. Uh, the one I saw, I'm guessing was maybe 50 feet by 30 feet. And that's a pretty good guess. It was about 2000 feet over my head. It was there for about three seconds and then it was gone. Now, gone is open for interpretation as, as to what happened, but uh, yeah, I was I've got three options for, for how it disappeared, which we can get into. Do you think it might have been cloaked? or? Well, I, I, yes, that, that is one option, but cloaking works both ways. Uh, being that we have limited eyesight, you know, what we can see from the light spectrum, it could have still been there. I just, it just switched frequencies or something. So I guess in, in essence, that's a cloak or it could have taken off so fast that I could not, you know, see it. But I want to, to clarify that, that it was beside a little cloud and the cloud was still there untouched. Wow. So I don't think that happened. 
And as Richard Hoagland pointed out, uh, it possibly could have gone into another dimension. Now, when I think of that, I normally think of opening up a portal and going through it. And I did not see that as well. So any, any one of those three answers happened, but it was, it was totally quiet. Uh, it was definitely there. It was appeared as a solid object, uh, Robert. And I was a mailman at the time, and I had just made a delivery. This was back in 2016, September of 2016. And, and something just told me to stop and look up. And it was a crystal clear day. The sky was beautifully, beautifully blue. It was an azure blue, a dark blue. And I stopped in the ladies' yard and looked up, and, and the craft was right over my head. No windows, no nacelles, no wings, nothing to support it being there unless it was a helium balloon, which it wasn't. So, I mean, I wasn't scared or anything. I said, well, hello there. That's exactly what I said. And I really didn't have time to think about it anymore until that evening when I got home after work and, you know, discuss it with my wife. And I really did not tell too many people about it. At that time, it was a little bit taboo to even say you saw a UFO. But a year later, the government comes out with Tic Tacs, which is exactly what I saw. So I was vindicated. That's, that's interesting. And then would you say that was what sparked your interest in uh, writing Crossing the Crevice? It, it, it did. I've always had an interest in UFOs. And, you know, I come from a conservative Baptist and Methodist background where, you know, in the last 15 years, I've pretty much been taught you need to believe what's in the Bible. If you don't, well, you really need to question your salvation. You pretty much know how that goes sometimes. It's not And, and you're, ta you're taught all these things that, that, that's in there. And a lot of the stuff that's in there makes zero sense. What I was it's say, either well, covered it's, up or not taught. It's, it's almost not fair to people like that they have to question their own salvation and be scared to, you know, because I think people should be open to worship God however they want, right? I think that's sure. a good thing. Sure. Sorry, and I didn't I, interrupt you. Chapter in there about the earth being 6,000 years old. I've been told then, you know, why can't you accept? That's what it says. 6,000 years old. Well, I totally don't believe that at all. I believe the earth is billions of years old. And I have a whole chapter in Crossing the Crevice uh, relating to that. that that's amazing. I, well, I was thinking, um, do you think that, like, it's like Michael Cremo says and other people that, like, we've had, like, and I've talked about this in past podcasts, where we've had, like, may, maybe cataclysm after cataclysm that's kind of erased our history because exactly. they find older examples of humanity. Exactly. Throughout time. We've, right? had, we've had multiple civilizations on this planet, and some have been, you know, enlightened, let's say, and then, then some type of a cataclysm comes along, and we start all over again. So here, here we are in this generation, and uh, some would say that we're getting close to the end now. Yeah, but I some would say that. I, I'm not sure. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to think we are because I, I think we've made it so far. And if there's any way we can figure out how to save ourselves, then from, you know, from like nuclear annihilation or something like that, I, I would like for humanity to figure it out. But like, 
what I was thinking was, I think we can learn a lot from our future about what, what our past was. And sure. do you think that like these beings they talk about that, you know, that, that are in the book of Enoch that are the fallen angels and that are the Anunnaki and, and Sitchin and other, not just Sitchin, but other people who translated the tablets and all, all uh, indigenous peoples around the world say they have uh, meetings with the star people that, that do you think that there was definitely, do you cover this in Crossing the Crevice where there, there was extraterrestrial intervention in all humanity throughout the past? I, I get into that in my new book, Within Grasp. Uh, a couple of chapters cover that. These beings came at all times to all locales, to all peoples all around the world. And they were perceived as gods. Why? Because they had what was considered miraculous powers. The same goes for the God of Canaan, uh, uh, Yahweh or Jehovah. Uh, miraculous powers. And if you didn't believe, then I would scare you to believe. I mean, that's what I get from the Old Testament now. Uh, but, But these visitors just did not drop in. They arrived in crafts. I mean, the Hindus, you know, Vamanas, we've had flying carpets, flying dragons, uh, you you name it. They all came in crafts and they were all purported to be gods and considered to be gods because they came from heaven. And it depends really on which country or locale you live in as to who you considered to be your god. And I get into that again in, in Within Grasp. That, that uh, you know, if I lived in Israel, if I was born in Safed or Tel Aviv, Yahweh would be my God. I'm pretty sure of that. But if I was born in Saudi Arabia, uh, I would probably fall in line with Gabriel and Mohammed and be in, uh, you know, Islam. Oh, or if I lived in India or Pakistan, I'd probably be uh, Hindu. And uh, uh, it would be different wherever I was. Did you ever hear this too? I heard this, that, that um, the one Anunnaki, his name was Nanar Sin. He was Enlil's son, okay? This is, this is how you trace the lineage. But Gerald Clark, he was an Anunnaki researcher. He said that Nanar Sin, they also called, he was the moon god, but they also called him Allah, which I thought was really weird. When I first heard that, I was like, wait, was that for real? Did they really call him that? Because that would explain where they got that name from Islam. And then he also said that you could trace en- Yahweh and uh, to either Marduk or Enlil. So do you think that that's where they got the names for the, these gods? That is, a, that is a possible connection. You know, the Islam faith says there's 99 beautiful words for God. And Allah is just the one that they seem to focus on. And they, they, they do mention he is God of multiple worlds. And even, even, you know, Christians who accept the Islam faith, they use the word Allah as well. So that, that's a very good possible connection. And one thing that I thought that you thought was interesting is you, uh, in another podcast I, I heard when I was researching for ours today, I heard you talk about this um, Moroz, which is uh the, in the Talmud, they talk about it. Can you tell, tell people what you found out about that? Well, in, in the, you, know, you know, the Jewish faith has a lot of documents in their history. The Talmud is certainly one, and it comes in a couple of flavors. But in it, it says that Yahweh 
actually monitors or supports 18,000 different worlds, plural. And if you read the Old Testament in Judges, uh, it's actually Judges 5.20, the word Meroz is mentioned. And it goes something like this. Deborah is speaking, and she says, The stars fought from heaven. From their courses they fought against Sisera. Curse Meroz, said the angel of the Lord, utterly curse its inhabitants, because they did not come to help the Lord. And for me, Meroz is a planet. And for a lot of the Jewish people, Meroz is a planet. Secular scholars today don't have the slightest idea what Morose is. They try to make it into a, 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 a local area somewhere. That they don't know where it is, somewhere in, in Israel, because that fits the agenda. But, but stars don't fight from heaven. Exactly. I was just going to say that. <laughs> and uh, how are you going to, why would they just pick Morose to come and help the Lord if it's a local you know, a local area or locale or geographical area in Israel. That makes no sense. It, it's, re, it's referring to a planet. Well, and, and it's the same Lord that's often referred to as Lord of armies. This is the Lord of the Old Testament or Yahweh, to be honest. I, I, I don't use that word in my new book. Uh, I use Yah or abbreviations. Well, let me ask you this. When you look at the world realistically, do you think that this is something that could be a possibility? Do you think these gods could have control over um, different planets? And I'll just give you an example. I go back to Gerald Clark again because I reference him a lot. He talked about how the Anunnaki would rule by procession of the equinox, you know, like when it would go from Pisces to Aquarius. And, you know, a lot of the people talk about we're going for Aquarius. But for some reason, he had like logic that he thought that Marduk was ruling during the age of um, Mar- Marduk. We'll just say, for example, and I'm just saying this as an example. He thought Marduk was ruling during the age of Pisces. He made reference to this multiple times. But, like, do you think that, the, 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 I guess this is maybe the structure, the way things are, that these gods rule over planets, and then there's one supreme god over all, or one creator or infinite source? Or you're, you're really going down the path that I, I like to hear, Robert. <laughs> um, let, me, let me back up and say this. You know, before I made Yah a second-tier god, and my personal beliefs, I did a lot of study. Now, I don't have a doctorate or a master's, but I've spent 40, maybe 45 years Bible study and two years lately for this last book. You know, the God of Israel was a Canaanite God, and there's two lines of thought that, that are primary lines of thought. One, one is that this God was into copper and was was um, a local god and the Kenites venerated him. Another line of thought is that this god was a god of uh, weather and war and the Shashu venerated Yah. And the Shashu is even mentioned on some Egyptian documents as being uh, the god of the uh, Israelites. But Doing this study, uh, I've come to realize that Yah had a brother. 
Bell. Yah and Bell were brothers. Wow. I Bell became Bell, Bell uh, you know, Satan, basically. And that helps explain why they were talking so generally, generally like they were on equal terms in the book of Job, which, by the way, is the oldest book in the Bible, not Genesis. Now, Baal and Yah, they had a father, El. El became Elohim. El was the chief, chief god of the Canaanites. El had 70 children, seven zero. They each got their own land. They each were responsible for their own land. Yah got what is generally considered to be Israel today. Yah was a jealous God. So Yah was in charge of Israel. Baal was in charge of another piece of land. We don't know exactly where that was or is, but it could be adjacent to Israel. Yah was always present. He had to be present to do anything. But Baal was absent. And that helps explain why Elijah could call fire down from heaven. His God was there. It was perhaps Yah's land. And there's just so much I have learned without going into a whole lot of detail. I put a whole chapter I think it's so interesting. on that and it's really the crux of what within grasp is it's how i have changed my opinion uh, on just who god is for me god is the god of gods the new testament says god is spirit god is love god is light god and we're taught that god is omni everything uh the more i have read the old testament and the more that i know that a craft was present during that time, the more I realized that Yah was just a local God, much like uh, Shiva or much much like uh, Zoroaster or Kantiki or, or any of the other local gods for any population around the planet. And was this who we would also call, I heard you refer to them in another show, uh, the Shimshu Hor. Is that what they, is that how you pronounce it? And that, I think that's what they kind of. Uh, that's something, that's something a little different. The Shashu is, 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 is a uh, group of people. Well, I, I, I thought that that was another name for the Anunnaki, but look, but let me ask you this. I'm trying to think of my question. I had a question before that. Um, do you think these people might have could have been the gods were um do you think they were demigods or do you think they were anything more special than us do you or do you think they could have been advanced humans do you get into that at all i get into that in my new book again i I know we're talking about crossing the crevice uh it's more into ufos in the bible what i saw the description of it uh disclosure that we're not alone. The space is big. The earth is older than 6,000 years. But with my latest book, it's more spiritual in nature. And it gets into these deeper subjects uh, like you just mentioned. Yeah. Um, so, well, I'll, 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 I'll digress then. What, one thing you do write about in your book is the pyramids and crossing the crevice. Can you talk about what you thought those were? Sure. For? And I, I do need to 
to mention that recently I have seen an Ancient Aliens episode in which have every book written on the Great Pyramid. It's always fascinated me. And I have, when I say every book written, probably 23 books. And I have read all 23. So I was dying to get over there. And I finally made it over there. I stayed three days uh, at the pyramid, made it inside. They confiscated my camera, but I did make it inside with a uh, square. It was amazing. The Great Pyramid is absolutely amazing. Totally, the sarcophagus was totally square, made out of a solid piece of granite. And we're taught that they only had copper tools back then. This granite is so hard, copper would have done nothing to it. You could put your finger in the hole that was drilled and where the lid was on the sarcophagus and you could feel a lip where the drill pressure had gone down and then stopped. They had some type of hydraulic or beyond hydraulic drills to construct the pyramid. So, so you, you meet all these people that want to tell you about the pyramid and they will say, well, you know, it started off uh, pyramids made out of mud and bricks. And we, we started doing step pyramids and then all the pharaohs wanted to one up one another. So as time went, we finally got into uh, solid structures, the Bent Pyramid. And from there, we went to the Great Pyramid. And then from the Great Pyramid, we went completely backwards. So that line of thought really does not hold water. And at the time, the Great Pyramid was supposedly built, going from that pyramid to the following pyramid, was basically a quiet time in Egypt. So you would expect uh, Yusuf's pyramid to be at least on the scale of Khafre's, if indeed the Great Pyramid was Khafre's. It certainly was not Khafre's. And there's multiple reasons for that, uh, Robert. One, one is, where's, where's the evidence? All these pyramids that they have found have statues and, and gifts to help help the uh, Pharaoh get you know make an easy transition to the afterlife. All their all their belongings. None of this was found in the Great Pyramid. Nothing. The only statue of Khufu was found hundreds of miles away, and it's only six inches tall. There's no hieroglyphs. There's nothing. What there is is a piece of red granite, and red granite back then signified Israel, Hebrews. So my belief, and it's now shared with some other scholars, is, is that the Great Pyramid was there first. And then what we have are advanced copies, one at one up as they got better, trying to emulate the Great Pyramid. And I'm not going to move off of that. That, that. That's that's my thought. Yeah. So you think it was it was the Israelites who made the pyramid? But what's interesting is, I, I'm, I'd love to. No, I'm that. not sure it was the Israelites. I didn't mean to interrupt. I'm. I'm I think the Great Pyramid is probably ten or twelve thousand years old. 
But here's one thing I, I, I found out from Ralph Ellis. When I interviewed Ralph, you know, he's wrote like books like called Jesus King of Odessa. He thought Jesus might have been the King of Odessa, which was a Syrian um, uh, Syrian uh, territory. But uh, what, what he told me, what was interesting is he said, when the Jews, you know, first fled the Exodus, when they fled Egypt, he said they were, they were originally Egyptians themselves. He said, and then they fled Egypt, but they were, you know, like, like Moses, or Akhenaten, you know, uh, or Moses. Or, or, I have that book. Do you know what I'm trying to say, though, that they could have been originally sure. Egyptians themselves? Sure. It makes sense, because everybody from that area, they're all the same blood, it seems like. They're all the same. Sure. And they, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, my thought is, uh, is exactly pretty much what you just said. I mean, where did Jesus go? Egypt to hide from the, you know, the Magi and, or not the Magi, but uh, Herod. And, and you had the Israelites in Egypt, but there were no definitive lines on what, what the countries were back then. It was just general locations, general locations. I mean, you didn't have a fence to say this was one country or that's another country. And another thing you can, I consider a lot is that Going back to Yah, he didn't change any of the beliefs of the Egyptians, did he? And and, and you and you think of this Yah who who hardened Pharaoh's heart, and then Pharaoh turns around and kills all the firstborns. I really question that. So, you know, if this Yah wanted to be God of the whole world. I mean, he's left all these other countries alone. He's only the God of Israel, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac. And that is mentioned multiple times, even in Isaiah. It sounds like Yah was really narcissistic. (laughs) It does, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? And he's he's very jealous. And, and, And I mean, he changes his mind. He needs a craft to ride around in. I mean, he needs a box to be carried in to win wars. It's just, it's, it's, the more I have studied this, the more I have come to realize that, that, and I'll just, I'll just be blunt that I'm not sure that the Old Testament and New Testament should have been bound together on one book. They should be two separate books. Well, here's what I wanted to ask you. Does Jesus say that he was the son of Yahweh or does he say he's not? Did he say he's not preaching? the? Jesus never said Yahweh or Jehovah was his father. He always used the term father or Abba. In fact, the word Jehovah is only mentioned seven times in the King James. And we, I'd mentioned that, uh, El or Elohim, the chief Canaanite God, he also had a wife. Her name was Asherah. That is part of the Elohim, meaning plural. Asherah was taken out of the Bible. Why? Because it was a man show. Women were second class back then. Their job was to cook, make baby boys, mend, etc. So we couldn't have a female 
God, nor could we have plural gods. So even though I'm a little bit anti-Bible, it's still a great book, but I'm also anti-early church uh, because the church yearned for power and this power structure needed to be a one God, one man. And it morphed into becoming the one Jesus Christ. And it morphed into relinquishing everything that we are and trying to grab what's outside and grab God and grab Jesus to do things for us, to answer our prayers. It's removed any degree of responsibility or learning that we're supposed to do and turned it all over to Jesus or God. Any miracles that are done, it's always God or Jesus now who do them. It's, it's never us. Uh, it was a miracle, perhaps, from some people's standpoint, that Peter you know, stepped out of the boat onto the water. But it was really Peter who made that first step and actually stepped on the water. And it was really Peter who raised somebody from the dead. It was really Paul who raised somebody from the dead. It was really Paul who blinded someone just by looking at him. And Paul had that training uh, that we are missing. A lot of people think that Paul instantly became a disciple after the Damascus Road experience. Wrong. Three years transpired. He actually went to Saudi Arabia, where Mount Sinai is, the land of Elijah, the land of... Uh, uh, Elisha, and he received training. We don't know who trained him. Some of the scholars think it may have been Jesus himself. We don't know whether he went to a prophecy school or, or some type of, myth, of a mystery school, but after three years, he came back and he had these powers. He did not have them before. In fact, he was, you know, he was anti-Christian before. That he had these powers, and I would like to know, really, and someday I will, who trained him and how we can get that training. Because I really believe we have the power within us. It is biblical. It's Jesus' own words that we will do miracles greater than what he did when he went to the Father. That's in John. I know of no one who has done miracles greater than what Jesus has done. So what the church has done, and this goes back to the uh, Middle Ages, is become power hungry. You have to accept Jesus to be saved. You have to accept uh, being born again. You have to profess your faith and make it public. You have to come to church and venerate God. You have to socialize with all these other, uh, your brothers and sisters, and you worship together and you try to form unity well, they have bits and pieces of the truth, but when they did away with any of the Gnostics' writings, they did away with reincarnation, which was accepted in the church for the first 200 and some years, and, and they did away with anything about you becoming more like God. It's about you becoming more connected to God. That's the way the church has, has, has formed this agenda now. It's taken anything that we are, anything we can do, 
anything that we are internally and, and learning and growing and developing away from us. Everything now we rely on to God. And I, I have a problem with that. And, and it's, I have left the confines of the uh, dogma of, of Christianity. I've gone outside the gates. It was Reverend Michael Carter who created the term gates of Western Christianity, by the way, and he is so right. All the theologians uh, have learned from all their training, you know, it makes no difference whether you're Methodist, Baptist, Luke, whatever, they all pretty much teach the same thing. Anything to do with spirituality and, and, and the spirit inside you living perpetually, uh, reincarnation, anything to do with that has been removed. Anything with you being a mini Jesus, even though Jesus says it himself, has been removed. You're considered new age. It's taboo. And in an, really in an effort in both crossing the crevice and within grasp, I'm trying to set the stage that things just aren't quite as we have been taught. And as such, it's okay to step outside those gates and you will realize that you're on a path. It was Michael Carter who told me I was on a path. And he asked me what I'm going to do. And I said, well, I'm going to follow the path. I don't know where it's going to take me, but I will follow because I'm being led. And I don't care how long it takes, but I will follow the path. And that's exactly uh, what I've done. And that's what I've alluded to really within, uh, within grasp with this latest book. It's really much more of what I've discovered along the path. Do you think you called it within grasp because you think like you think like true belief in God without dogma is within grasp? Do you think enlightenment within grasp? Do you think the teachings of the mystery schools are in are all within grasp? Is that kind of where you're getting at with that? I, I grabbed that title because it's one step beyond crossing the crevice. Crossing the crevice is let, letting you know that there's this big gulf below of all this information and some of it's right and some of it's wrong and you really want to get to the other side within grasp is you're almost there ready to grab a hold of it i'm still learning every day and things are still you know dynamic for me they're changing but i have changed a lot of my beliefs in the last six years and within grasp really focuses more on the spirit inside your body that we were alive before we were born and you'll be alive after you die. So there's, you know, we cover or I covered uh, saved and born again and what happens when you die and all these things that are really not covered a whole lot uh, in the Bible. And I, these are truths that have been presented to me as I've learned to meditate, by the way. I never learned to meditate in Sunday school, and I, I, I compare prayer to meditation. Meditation is now paramount uh, uh, for me. Uh, I pray all the time, but also meditate. And uh, one of the statements I put in that book was that uh, I can pray first and then meditate, but I cannot meditate and then pray. They're really two different 
constructs altogether. Prayer is going outwards, connecting with a God. But meditation is really the opposite. It's really going inside once everything's removed. So you're connecting to your true, true spirit or soul. And once that, once you learn that connection and learn to communicate with your true spirit and soul, it changes everything. It changes really everything. Well said. I, I like that a lot. Um, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Like, I, I think that um, we're at a time where this is becoming more realistic for everybody right now because we're in an awakening process. It seems like the whole world is coming to grips with the fact that this is our new reality, that this, that, that things are changing. Like disclosure is on the, on, on the uh, it's, it's right at our doorstep. And I always say we don't need the government for disclosure because we have people like you who are bringing disclosure and other great authors out there that I interview, you know, it's guys like you that are bringing disclosure and I appreciate it. I want to thank you, but what are your thoughts on where we're headed with disclosure and do you ever think we'll ever see a day where they have like a press conference and they formally announce it? I mean, they kind of already have, but they, you know. Disclosure is a tricky subject. My thoughts on disclosure, disclosure has changed. Uh, I was maybe a f- three years ago thinking that, you know, we're getting drips and those drips seem to be increasing. Now I'm not so sure we're ever going to get what you just mentioned, formal disclosure. I think the reality is so life-threatening, so life-changing, so worldly changing that we can't handle it at present. And the powers to be, including alien powers, no, we can't handle it. So I think this, this, change or this disclosure which will include life elsewhere which should include some type of a historical uh, alien presence it should include some type of a future roadmap and it should include uh, uh, so many things pertaining to life that that we have pretended aren't there that, that that I just don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. I could, I could be wrong, but I know the aliens are involved to an extent. And I know that we have two different governments. We have much the same as Jesus had. He had first tier knowledge and second tier knowledge. The general population got second tier knowledge taught in parables. The disciples really got taught. Uh, we have two levels of knowledge here. We have what the general populace knows, the general laws of physics as we know them that are taught in most schools. And then we have a few people that have high clearances, some maybe as contractors, uh, some extraterrestrials, some high ups that are being way beyond the president. A lot of people think the president knows everything. Well, there's multiple, multiple levels of security above the president even on different layers. Uh, These people have knowledge. And I believe what Ben Rich said. Ben Rich used to be the head of Lockheed Skunk Works. Uh, Several of his quotes are in the back of Crossing the Crevice. In 92, 93, he said, we've already been to the stars. You think about that. 
there was a, a, a mistake in the equation and we had it fit, we got it fixed. And we've already taken ET home. That's another one of his comments. I was just gonna say now you think about that. So therefore I know that some of these crafts we are seeing, they're not all alien. But that's not to say that alien crafts, you know, aren't here. Alien crafts have been around since 2000 years ago, since we started recording uh, history. And, but some of them, I, I honestly believe, uh, are our own. Do I believe we've already been to the stars and been to the moon and been to other planets? The answer is yes. Do I believe that we have cloaking technology that can cloak the tic-tac that I saw? The answer is yes, but it's not made public as yet, nor has it been released to the universities to slowly instill into society. Those are those are my beliefs that you know currently. Yeah, I like that. I wanted to one thing you mentioned is you. I wanted to get back into Jesus and the Bible and stuff because I, I I thought this is really. I have some interesting questions for you. In the Bible, they talk about there's. Okay, there's the Nephilim who we think they might have been the offspring of the fallen angels, right? But then they also talk about the Beni Elohim, which it seems like they could have been maybe the descendants of the Elohim. And then they also had the Rephaim. How do you differentiate these? Uh, do you think these were waves of extraterrestrial visitors that came? or what do you, what do you I think they were all types of giants. Uh, uh, just different names for different locales where they were located. Okay. Some of them were like 13 feet tall. Many of them were eight, nine feet tall. Depending on where you went, they had different names that ended in those EMs that, that you mentioned. Yeah. Og was one that was mentioned in the Bible whose bed was like, what was it, six and a half or eight and a half feet long or something, 13 feet long. I don't remember right King off. Og. King it's Og mentioned in the Bible, right? Pardon? King Og had a he had an iron bed that was 13 feet tall. Correct. That yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And what's interesting is uh, this This is how I draw parallels to it. When you look at that story of King O, like it looks like the Israelites um, raided a land of the Anakim. And, and Anakim sounds very strangely similar to Anunnaki to me. Does that sim- sim- st- strike true to you too as well? Possibly. Uh, it sounds like maybe you know a little more about the Anunnaki than I do. I have read Sitzkin's books uh, and that's about the extent of it. Uh, I haven't done any extracurricular uh, studies on the Anunnaki, but I do know that they had had the presence there. I do know that, you know, Samaria and all that, the cuneiform writing, uh, the flood, they had their own description of the flood a long time before Genesis was written, and it's pretty much the same ordeal. And uh, it is possible uh, that one, one thing you just sparked an interest in I wanted to mention was if you didn't connect with what I said, El being the Canaanite God, there is a verse in the Bible that has Joshua actually building an altar to El. And it turned out to be Beth El, which is a city in Israel now. So this El was legitimate. Wow. And, and uh, Joshua, you know, the same Joshua we all uh, venerate, it, it, it paid homage to him. 
that's so interesting. Um, what about the mystery schools? Uh, I heard you say in another podcast about um, that Jesus kind of went to the Panther Mystery School. Or, you, there's, there's a book that Busby wrote, which really resonated with me. I mean, there's probably 11 different theories on what the Great Pyramid was or could have been from a water pump to, to uh, a power generator, to some type of uh, mixing unit, if you believe Christopher Dunn, uh, to make a light or to communicate. It could have been a lot of other things. But he, 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 he wrote a little book that really, really connected with me. And it, it, it connected uh, the Sphinx with the pyramid and saying it was really a mystery school and how he followed all the way through up you ended up into the sarcophagus in the the chamber king chamber and what they would do would take a mallet and hit you on the head and basically knock you out and then you would come to and you would be resurrected and if you made it that far then you graduated and he made the case that jesus was a member of that because Unless you were a member or a graduate of one of those schools, you were a nobody in society. And that, that is something in my brain that, that connects with some other articles that I have read that says when Christ comes back, he will bring the Ben Ben stone with him and place it on top of the Great Pyramid. And that, that's one There's thing. so many things we could talk about the Great Pyramid, uh, Robert. That's a show in itself. But there is no way Egyptians built it 2,500 and some years ago. Oh, you I have totally to know agree. the planet. It's nothing but a complete description of this planet. It's built exactly on the geographical center of the earth. How would they know that? The indents and the sides perfectly match the curvature of the earth. And we didn't even know that to the 1970s with our sat- until we finally looked at it with our satellites. Yeah, it's indented. All four sides are indented. The actual height of the pyramid is the exact average of the mountains of the earth and on and on and on about their measurements and whatnot. Well, it had to be something special, right? Because it survived cataclysms because I think it was, it was there about, like you said, about 12,000 years, you know, it's socketed into the earth. That makes it different. Than, than all the other pyramids, which are just sitting on the earth. This, this one is bolted into the earth at the center of the earth. And I mentioned in crossing the crevice, you know, if you go into some of the extracurricular, you know, old, old writings that we have that did not make it into the Bible, in the book of Adam and Eve, it actually mentioned for... Uh, uh, Noah to take the embalmed body of Adam and place it in the center of the earth. Now, that does not mean the physical center of the earth where the core is. That means the Great Pyramid. That's the kind of prominence and importance that that, that has. Well, and that's where Noah did have the body of Adam, right? The first human, supposedly. Yes, yes. Um, what isn't in our Bible is that you go, you let, let's back up a little bit. There's two lines of thought on that as well. We just didn't have the garden of Eden, the garden of Eden. And then 
10 generations to Noah and everything was hunky-dory, they were segregated from population that already existed. Now that helps explain who Cain married, which is a whole nother topic. But there are, are several old texts found from different places that suggest that this lineage was very important to Yah and that they were segregated actually on top of a mountain and had a cave called the Cave of Treasures. And, and they overlapped each other because they lived so long. And it was very, very important to Yah to keep that, that lineage and to, to leave the top of the mountain and go down to the valleys where the heathens were was, was not allowed. It was taboo or a penalty to do that. And that's what happened to Cain. That's so interesting. So where do we get the, 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 the Adam, that Noah had Adam's bones? Like, cause I've heard that before too. And other, in other, in other, in other podcasts we I've done, like, and, and what do you think the significance was of that? Do you think that um, if you had to speculate, That the big God, and I don't mean Yah, or a bigger God, built the Great Pyramid. It might have been El, but it definitely wasn't Yah. And it definitely, you know, Yah and Jehovah, the same thing. It may have been El or Elohim that built the pyramid. And it's it was there all through what we consider to be biblical history. And it, it is something special um, to put the body, the embalmed body in there must some way, somehow connect to Osiris or uh, uh, perhaps the spirit leaving and going up. I honestly don't know. I like that though. But, but you know, the Great Pyramid as well as the other two are fashioned after Orion's belt. And they're, they're, they're aligned right to it. It's amazing, right? It's uh it's uh it's uncanny. All all and, all, all uh major sites around the world are, are astronomically aligned, which it makes me think that they were really paying attention to the stars back in the day. Yes. Everything well they didn't have watches, needless to say, everything was yeah. based upon <laughs> Uh, what we call the zodiac, the 12 zodiacs, each one being 2,200 years or so in length. And that's how we got the fish or Pisces. That was the age of Jesus. And now we're supposedly in this cusp between Pisces and Aquarius. That's how everything was measured back then by the age. Yeah. Um, um what, one, one other question I had for you that we brought up that we didn't cover was what was the Ben Ben stone? I've heard you talk about that as well. If you well, supposedly, and we don't know this for a fact, that was the top of the pyramid. Uh, the Great Pyramid, and sometimes you'll see this on TV and even ancient aliens is to blame. They focus in on Caffrey's pyramid, which is the one that still has some of the limestone stones on it. That's not the Great Pyramid. The Great Pyramid is the first one, which has a flat top. That's where the Ben Ben Stone used to be. There's different lines of thought. One is that it was never there. 
another line is that it went with Christ and will come back when he comes back. Another is that we don't know what happened. Uh, it may have been stolen, but we don't know how it got off the top of the Great Pyramid. We do know that there was earthquakes in Cairo and whatnot. So basically all the white Tura limestone blocks were taken and they were made in the mosque and whatnot in and around Cairo. So it is possible the Ben Ben stone was there. And if you believe that the Great Pyramid was a type of mystery school, then this will tie in with that. If a graduate was successful and made it through all the stages, ended up in the King's Chamber and graduated, everyone in there that was involved would hum or sing and the pyramid resonated and there was a bin-bin stone on top and that bin-bin stone would light up and cast a shadow perhaps on the ground in the form of a snake or a serpent. Uh, which meant that there was a new graduate, an initiate became a graduate. And that's, that's pretty much what resonates with me now, if you believe that Ben Benstone was there. That's interesting. Um, uh, one more thing I want to mention real fast, in case you want to leave the pyramid topic, was I always try to tie things into the, into the Bible, because for most of us, that's what we've been taught is, you know, our truth. It's interesting that there's uh, actually five sides to a pyramid. We don't know for sure what the word pyramid means or meant. There's different lines of thought on that. It could mean five. It could mean fire in the middle. But there's four sides that are exposed. There were 36,000 white limestone blocks on each side that made the cap. So when you looked at the Great Pyramid, it appeared as a solid object. You could not even see the door. The door you could open with your pinky. It was so well balanced that you had to know where it was to get in. But going back to the limestone blocks, 36,000 times four, 144,000. That matches the number in Revelation. But there's more. Each one of those limestone blocks had a name on it individual name. So there were 144,000 individual names, and it was written in a language that no one could decipher. And all that has been taken away from us today because of the easy pickings after an earthquake. And honestly believe that could relate to the 144,000 chosen ones in the book of Revelation. And that's all I'll say on that. Wow, that's so deep. That's so deep. But what, how, but can you just extrapolate or explain a little bit? Like, how would what what would that what would it mean for the hundred and forty four thousand? That that that, that would well, honestly, honestly, believe there are references to the Great Pyramid within the Bible. Uh, uh, I think one is in Job. There's multiple other places. I mentioned a few in, in Crossing the Crevice. But when you think of the foundation of the earth, what is the foundation of the earth? Because if you say that phrase by itself, it's a little confusing. The earth, it has no foundation. It floats in space. But yeah. the foundation of the earth, if you know the pyramid is the earth, it's just the earth in rock form. 
mathematical form, the foundation is socketed into the earth, the only pyramid that is socketed into the earth, then you may realize that God in the Old Testament or El in the Old Testament may have been the one to have built the Great Pyramid. That's fascinating. I know, that's, I know it's, I, that's deep, but uh, there's many dots to connect. Some other people may connect them differently. Now that, that's okay. But knowing that the Great Pyramid was there, even during Jesus' time, uh, knowing where it is, how it was built, what had to be known to build it, build it knowing that we didn't even know what, what the mortar was made out of. And some books I've read said we still don't know today what it was made out of. Uh, although I have read one book that says maybe we, we do know now. But there was a very fine mortar put between the blocks. It just made the whole thing look solid. It was, it was I'm sure, a sight to be seen. Yeah. Speaking of things that are hard to decipher, but you mentioned that, but so I thought I would talk about the last question I have for you is on crop circles, because you write about that in Crossing the Crevice. I do in Crossing the Crevice, yes. What, what, what are your thoughts on crop circles? Because I've, I've, been a fa- I've been a fan of crop circles since like, I've always seen the beauty of them back to the Art Bell days. I listened to Art Bell and he would talk to people about crop circles. And that was a, the, around the time when they were appearing a lot. Now, some of those could have been faked and stuff, but I remember, you know, Art would talk. Yeah, a lot, lot of them have been faked. Yeah, but he would have- well, the, sad, the sad thing is we as a society, and this works with UFOs as well, Anytime there's an enigma, we look for an answer. We want an immediate answer. We don't like to have the I don't knows out there or in our brain. And if someone in the media comes along with an answer, we often fall for it. Hook, line, rod, reel, sinker, the whole kaboot, even the dock. I agree. We fall for it. We want that answer. And that is our answer. So anything beyond that answer now becomes taboo. But what if that answer is wrong? What if, what if what was presented to you was purposely presented to you so the whole topic would go away? Well, there are many, many uh, people that have their doctorates and many people around the world that know that's exactly what happened with crop circles. Once, once the two fellows were exposed, I have their picture in the book as to making crop circles, it became a non mainstream topic when in fact they're still happening even today in fact the legitimate ones appear in a matter of seconds not days not weeks there have been planes to fly one way nothing's in that field 30 minutes later they come back broad daylight there's a crop circle now you think about and by the way there's plenty of pictures that i got from lucy pringle in crossing the crevice of a bunch of different crop circles. But you think of everything it would take to make a perfect crop circle. And, and, and most people think they were made at night. So you would have to drive your vehicles out there. You'd have people with their little minor lights on their head, tromping out in the field. Every time you would take a step, you would smash the canola or the corn or the grass or whatever it is 
you're making the crop circle and it all have to be measured and done mathematically beforehand. It would take multiple people and you're out there at night, you're gonna see who's gonna, I mean, people's gonna see your lights, you're gonna see your vehicles parked next to the, next to the field. It's gonna take weeks to do that and make sure it's right. But these crop circles appear instantly, almost instantly. There's no tracks and there's strange, uh, well, let's say mystical uh, or mystical uh, attributes of a real crop circle. Uh, uh, there's, there's some missing time often. Uh, there's a feeling of ecstasy for some of the people, a feeling of magnetism in the air or ozone in the air. And I, I have several pictures to distinguish between, <clears throat> excuse me, what is a real crop circle and what isn't a real crop circle. People in the know know that real crop circles are still an enigma and they're still being made. And we don't know specifically how they're made. Although, and you may have seen this too, there's a couple of films out there that, that show one being made. And it's these couple of orbs that appear, orbs that you see on TV a lot now, appear, swoop down every time they swoop an invention is made and a crop circle was made in a matter of seconds. And then those orbs go away. So are those orbs remotely controlled or are they inherently, you know, knowledgeable and sentient in themselves? I don't know. What I do know is that uh, a lot more study needs to be done. I'm not sure anybody knows exactly what they're trying to tell us, uh, but it is, it is a real phenomenon, and there are people who are actually studying it. It's just something you no longer uh, hear on the news because it's considered taboo. But that's unfortunate. Yeah, I remember hearing people like that they, they did tests where people like stood in the crop circle and they had some of these things that you talked about where they felt like a state of enlightenment or they felt they felt like uh, uh, euphoria, um, missing time. Can you talk about some of these instances real quick? Like before, I, I just want to cover them because I think they're so amazing that these things actually happen to people while they were in crop circles. Well, I mean, what, what you have said is basically true. It hasn't happened in all of them, but in, in a lot of them. And people have gone in, for example, with, with, with watches and they come back out and these are watches that uh, uh, are exceedingly accurate and they are seconds off. Um, people have gone in and felt dizzy. They have gone in and felt, as you say, a state of enlightenment, like, like they're just covered with, with a static electricity. Uh, people have, have, have gone in there as well and gotten dizzy and lightheaded and and basically ill. Uh, it, 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 it seems to depend either on the individual or the crop circle. And I, I'm not sure specifically, you know, the difference as to what makes that happen. But, but uh, it does happen. That's so interesting. And I, I guess I answered your question. I mean, yeah, yeah, I can't specifically pick a person out and say what specifically happened to a specific person. I'm not that 
specific in my book. No, I understand. It's but I mean, you gave a great answer, and then I was going to ask you, well, how can we tell the real ones from the fake ones? Is there a way? Oh, yeah, yes, there is. You can look at the nodes on on the plants. Uh, a fake one, of course, would either have tracks going to it or lines going to it, and it's not perfect. A real one does not have footprints going to it, and it's very well laid out. But the biggest difference is if you go out there and manually make one, you tear up the plants. You snap them off. You break them. They die. Real ones, not so much. Uh, it's, it's like you have this instant burst of energy and it boils the steam inside the stems and it bursts at the nodes, but the plant still lives. For example, you take canola, which, which is a very delicate plant. If, if you went in there and, and with snowshoes on and tried to make your own uh, crop circle, you would completely destroy the plant. Everything you stepped on would die. But a real crop circle in canola, everything lives. The plants are bent sometimes up to as much as 90 degrees, but yet the plant still lives. Now, now explain that. I got an idea. Do you think, I just thought of this, and this, this might be one of my uh, smarter ideas. Do you think the ETs are trying to show us that we should be living a better way? Here's an example. Like they're saying the way we currently do things, we're destroying our world with the certain ways we use our technology and stuff. Maybe they're saying if we can figure out how they do the crop circles, they are able to build something where it doesn't damage the earth and they still accomplish something. Do you think that could be something they, that, is that a good idea or do you think that's no? I'm going to answer your question this way, Robert. The path that I am not, I am not on now would tell me to answer your question this way. We, you and I, and others have the power to create an orb over our head. We have that power. We just don't understand it. We haven't been trained how to use it. When we, the harder we think, the more electricity we create in our brain, the more electricity you create, the more photons we create, the lighter, brighter we get. And I've actually seen one, one program on this. Uh, it might have been in Tibet, but a group of people praying and worshiping can actually create an orb. This orb is basically a ball of energized plasmic energy. And that's basically what I believe creates uh, legitimate crop circles. So, so is it coming from us or is it coming from the other side, the spiritual side. I believe it's coming from the spiritual side. And that's, that's a way they can communicate with us. Unfortunately, even when we're slapped up the side of the head with uh, like this Rebo project, when, when, the, when they came and actually imprinted in the ground that, that on Borger, we had the, the little plaque wrong we left out silicone and they, they fixed a few other little things. You don't even hear about that. But it, it, it's from the other side. And the other side is nothing to fear. We came from the other side. We're going to the other side. Death is nothing to fear. It's simply a transition 
back to our original spiritual state, the spiritual state that we really want to be in because that's the same as our creator is in. We are in these bodies just to learn. And believe me, believe me, when we pass, we don't go from pre-K directly into grad school. We pass many times and we have passed before. We are all the same. I look at it now as what, we, what you had mentioned as aliens, these aliens, these other gods, we're all brothers and sisters. We all have come from the same spirit of light, the God of light, the God of love. He is the spirit, and I say he, but because it almost sounds condescending. There is no male or female. The spirit is genderless. So I use he just because it sounds a little better. But, but we all come from this same source. Some are more evolved as others. And these bodies serve nothing but to allow us to touch, smell, hear, taste, whatever, to allow our spirit to grow. And there is absolutely no way after one life that we're anywhere near being on the level of Jesus, let alone the Father. And Jesus and the Father in my book are two separate uh, beings. Uh, you have the Father, then you have uh, a son. We're all sons, just like Jesus. That's why I feel and know now that I am a little Jesus. He is just more evolved than I am. He has learned more. He's maybe made better choices. Uh, he's been in different situations to continue to grow. And he has matured into a master. We, we're so far from that here in this planet, in this plane, that, that, that we have got so much to learn. We're, we just think we are everything. That, that So many people think we're the only ones here. I mean, not a... No, uh, uh, we've still got a lot to learn. We can't even control the thoughts going into our brain, let alone what comes outside the brain. And so what I, I've also mentioned on both, both books, that telepathy and telekinesis, all this stuff is in our future. It's already here or will be here. We're just not trained on how to use it. And I, I referenced Peter, who had the, the two and a half years training with Jesus and I referenced Paul earlier that he got extracurricular training. Where's our training? We're not getting it in Sunday school and churches. We're not getting it in the public. We're not getting it in books. We're not getting it on TV. We're stagnant. But what you have said is that there is this awakening. And Art Bell alluded to it as well. I am sensing this awakening. And it's just not happening here. It's, it, it's really happening worldwide. And where, you know, does that mean we're on the cusp of something special happening? Uh, I don't know. I hope it is. But I, I do sense that, that people are starting to look at things a little differently now. And maybe that's an excuse why uh, Christianity is on the decline. I think that's I'm, st I'm still a disciple of Jesus, though. I look at him as a teacher and a master. As far as a savior, not so much. I think we're all saved. I mean, look at the fellow on the cross. I think his name was Dismas in Catholic tradition next to Jesus on the cross. He wasn't saved. 
He didn't profess Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He wasn't born again. Uh, he was a common criminal. As far as we know, he could have been pruned off the vine earlier. And yet Jesus told him he would be in paradise with him that very day. Now, where's all this saved and born again stuff when it comes to him? So much, so, so many things that we covered that we have been taught that is, is simply in my, in my heart now, not correct. And I want to be careful when I say that because I don't want to offend my brothers and sisters. Again, we're all brothers and sisters. And I, I likened it to a pond, Robert, where a pond full of lily pads. Many people are stuck on the same lily pad they've been on forever. But I'm here to tell you that it's okay to jump to another lily pad, that new truths, new dimensions, and new realities exist on other lily pads. And, and your intellect, your spirit can be enlightened by jumping to that other lily pad. And it's okay to do so. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's really well said. And um, I think that's a good place to, to finish up. And thank you so much, by the way. That was really, that was really well said. Thank you. Um, can you tell everybody where to find the book? And if you want to be contacted, how to sure. contact your website? Crossing the Crevice is this red book. Um, I want to explain a couple of things real fast. This is in two formats, an 8 by 10 grayscale and an 8.5 by 11 full color. Before I had my tic-tac sighting, and that's a picture of a real tic-tac there. That's actually what I saw. Um, it was not in the cards for me to be an author. So I didn't know that if I put one color picture in a book, that makes the whole book become color and exponentially more expensive. So that's why I went ahead and did the grayscale. The spacing's a little bit off on the grayscale when we condensed it, but the gist is still there. And then the follow-up book is, this is a proof. I just got it today. It's not available to purchase yet. It will be. It's got the same picture of the white Tic Tac. Um, I've got some really good interviews in here. Uh, one with Reverend Michael Carter. One with the first pastor who publicly declared that there were UFOs in the Bible, Dr. Barry Downing. I don't know whether you've heard of him or not. Uh, Dr. Paul H. Smith, an original member of Project Stargate. Big interview. Also with Barbara DeLong. She's got a podcast. She's, she's a spiritual uh, person, an author, artist, documentary, and the list goes on. We, we, we talked for a long time. I've, I've got a very good interview with her in there. And then uh, lastly, I interviewed somebody I really didn't know. There's no way this book could have been totally science, scientific. I was going to interview four or five people that I didn't know, but I decided that would be useless. So I inter interviewed somebody. I only knew his name, and it was an acquaintance. Uh, he fell into the same uh, background that I have, Southern Baptist. And just, just to let people know, where we're at, and hopefully where we're going. That was the purpose of that interview. It wasn't to offend anybody or to make fun, because as I say, everybody's my brother and sister anyway, and I, the last thing I want to do is to offend anybody. 
We're all brothers and sisters. We're all heading in the same direction, whether we all know it or not. We're all heading towards the light. And that light is immense agape love. And that love permeates all the universes. And that is our Father. It's well, it's well said. Well, again, um, th- thank you so much for doing this. And I'd love to talk to you again when when your book actually, when you when it comes out, we can do another. Maybe interview. five weeks or so, four to five weeks. Yeah. I'll have a website too. It will be named after the book. It'll be uh, withingrasp.net, www.withingrasp.net. And if your listeners want to pursue Crossing the Crevice, I did take that website down. Uh, it will be replaced with the Within Grasp website, but the email still works should they wish to email. It's all, I'm also on Facebook. Okay. So uh, there's a page for Crossing the Crevice and one for Within Grasp, uh, both. Yeah, well, I'm, I, I'd love to do it again. Like when you, when, when you when the book comes out and stuff, you know, like I'd, I'd like to have you on again and we can talk more about it and go deeper into, even deeper in these subjects. I think we went pretty deep today but we can do it again. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Yeah, and I, I enjoy, I enjoy talking about this kind of stuff now, now since I've been exposed to it and I have found it out for myself really. And that, that's the remarkable thing. I mean, this was not force fed to me like a lot of the Christian dogma was. This is things that I know from looking inside is truth. And that's a whole nother ballpark. Yeah. Because when when you when you find stuff that resonates with you, um, it it kind of it kind of set, sets well better than something being force fed, right? Exactly. Not only force, but has fallacies that that's not correct. There's so many contradictions in the Bible that that's never taught, and quite honestly, most people don't pay attention if it's there. And there's a difference between reading and studying. You're going to get me off on another tangent now, but. If you read something, sometimes it never clicks. You just go right over it without knowing the true meaning or, or being able to connect. Well, wait a minute. That's not what that says six chapters you know, before. And, and somehow, some way, I've been blessed with, with being able to see all that and connect it in ways and know that it's been manipulated and a lot of it's not correct. So that's where we stand. That's, that's really well said. I think I couldn't agree more. I agree totally. And uh, yeah, well, we'll do this again. And, and until next time, thank you very much. Peace to you, Robert. Really enjoyed it. Nice God meeting you. you too. Thanks. All right. Have a good night. Good night.